So good morning. Uh, so when, when Jesus came to this earth, just so you're aware, we, we do believe that Jesus is, is God in the flesh, that God came to dwell among us. In, in John chapter 1, it says that, that he was full of grace and truth, that that's the way that he, he was and the way that he walked. And, and I, and I want to kind of just think about that for a minute today. This isn't part of my sermon, but hopefully the words that I communicate today are, are full of both of those things. Because sometimes if, if just truth is spoken, sometimes that's hard for us to wrestle with. It's hard for us to receive. There's things that are uncomfortable about that. But, but at the same time, hopefully these words you will find are full of grace, right? That there's good news in the midst of this, all right? Because today during our sermon, we're going we're gonna to consider some, some hard implications of truth. Because the moment that we believe something is true, it excludes some alternatives from being true. I mean, that's just the way it is. We, we live within a logical universe. Uh, it, it both and does not apply in, in many situations. There's mutually exclusive concepts. So, so, so today's message is going to be one that's a little bit uncomfortable. I mean, even if you are an all-out, like, full believer in, in who Jesus is, it's still uncomfortable for us because we're like, well, what does this mean for the world? What does this mean for everybody else? What, it, what does this mean about what I should be doing with my life? And it, it, it does produce a degree of, of discomfort. But I want to point out that, that it's more important that we believe the truth than we believe something that's comfortable and is a lie. So, uh, so let me just pray real quick. Just, uh, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would just give my words grace and truth today, uh, that they would be your words, God, that I would rely on, on your word and that we would rest upon your truth in confidence. Uh, help us just to, to receive your word with grace today, to know that your heart is for us, that you love us, that we are, we are fully known by you and we are fully loved by you and that you uh, chose to seek us out to redeem us rather than just let us be in a place of, of untruth, in a place of, of condemnation. You sought us out that we could be forgiven. So we pray this this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So, so we are in the book of Acts in our series. We've been following the kind of story of Paul, uh, who's like post his, ex, you know, extreme encounter with Jesus, he's out like sharing Jesus with other people, right? He's, he's going around from city to city. He's traveling. He's not even staying in one place for a long time because he's like, I hear this next city has not yet heard about Jesus. So he's excited about doing that. Uh, so we're in Acts chapter 17. If you're interested in a Bible today, uh, Joshua, is able, he's got some for you. Just raise your hand. You can take those home with you. That's our gift to you. You can keep it. Uh, so you'll be all set to have that. Let's see. I've got my time counting down here. We're good. So Acts 17, I've, uh, you can open up to that. I think it's page 666. It's not demonic to have that page in the Bible, but, but here we go. So this is the idea. Is, is Paul, like I said, he's, he's just entered the city of Athens. All right. Maybe you've heard of Athens from history class. So let's find out what, what he sees. In Acts 17, verse 16, it says, now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, he's waiting for his buddies, uh, Timothy and Silas to show up. He just left them in Macedonia and Philippi. It says that Paul, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So it says that Paul's spirit was provoked within him. Other translations say that, right, he was uh, deeply distressed. All right, this was, he was brought to a point of grief, that he was greatly troubled at the sight of this city that was full of idols. 
All right, these were, these were gods. These were whatever their religious culture was at the time, right? That, that they had a whole bunch of different statues, you know, different altars there, different temples, and that the city was full of idols. The idols is the word that the Bible describes these, these gods. And, and you might think, well, shouldn't Paul be happy at this? I mean, like, you know, these people are spiritual people. Like, it's, it's, it's a good thing, right? Isn't spirituality a good thing? And the answer is, Unfortunately, no, not, not necessarily. It depends on what right, we are believing. Or, or, you know, shouldn't he be happy that these people are believing in a higher power? And the answer is not necessarily. It depends on if that higher power actually exists or not. Because I wouldn't be excited about someone believing something if it was, if it was a lie and if it was leading them astray. So, so Paul is, is deeply grieved by this. And, and, and like I said, the Bible describes these, these gods as being idols, all right, and idolatry, all right, maybe isn't something that we think about all that often because I don't think you were at home this weekend carving like a little statue to worship. That's not something that in Western culture, at least, we, we do a lot of, right? Idolatry is the practice of, of making up your own God. And it's something that the true God is, is offended at. It's something that he's not happy with. He's, you know, he's kind of like, well, that's, that's less good for the people that do that than believing in the, in the true God. In, in fact, I, I like this, this person's definition of it. He says that idolatry is the sin of making up your own God, and it's a violation of the first and second of the Ten Commandments. We gravitate t- towards idolatry like moths to a flame because it means we can snuggle up to a God who doesn't mind our sinful preferences. Right? We, we like, like I said, we don't necessarily go home and like build an idol out of wood or clay or stone or metal, right? But, but we do, as a culture, we, we imagine we make up what God is like, right? Or, or you know, sometimes we'll settle upon, well, I, I think this is true. And, and I understand where people come from when they say that, but, but if we live as though something that we merely think is true is actually true, that like there's no, still no basis for that truth. If it's just a matter of whatever whims I happen to have that day. All right, so, so this is in Acts 17.29. We'll read this passage again next week. I'm skipping ahead. But, uh, but this is what Paul says. He says, being then God's offspring. All right, that all people are made in the image of God. That's different than being children of God. But being God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone. An image formed by the art and imagination of man. So like I said, we're not necessarily building gods like that, but we do as a culture, our, our society's full of it, where we create gods out of our own imagination. This is what I want God to be like, or I don't like the God of this religion because of, you know, whatever, or I don't like the God of the Bible because he says this. So I'm just going to pretend he's different. I'm just going to pretend he's not that God anymore. And now I like him. Right? And, and so that's the same sort of behavior that we're doing as a society. I mean, not all of us, but the, as a society, we're doing the same thing that the people of Athens were doing. They were just making up their own gods, right? That, that, that you could just kind of make up whoever you want, right? And, and the reason we do that is, is because we like to think that God is like us. We want to think that God uh, likes the things that we like, that he doesn't like the things that we don't like. Right? We want God to be just like we are. And, and the issue is that we can't just create our own gods this way, or, that, or at least we don't live in a universe or a reality where that actually makes things true just because I want it to be true. It doesn't change 
reality, right? That's not how, that's not how things work. And, and, and the Bible says that we are made in the image of God, but so often we want to make God in our image. We want him to be like us, right? I, you know, I, 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 no, no, no. Like, I understand your God might be that way, but my God is, is like me. You know, my God's like this. This is what, what he or she or they think, right? So, so you might think, well, well, okay, so Paul is upset. He comes into this city. He sees these people are worshiping all sorts of different gods. But shouldn't Paul just, like, let them be? Like, shouldn't Paul just be like, okay, like, all right, this city's good. Like, they've got their religions. They're all set. These people don't need Jesus. You know, shouldn't, shouldn't he have just been like, okay, hey, one person's religion is just as good as another. One belief is just as good as another. And that... And, that's not, that doesn't make sense. That's, that's not necessarily true. Uh, I know that in Vermont culture and a lot of people come to the conclusion like, well, I think all religions are just kind of the same, right? That they all kind of say the same general idea. And I understand the, 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 you know, that sort of conclusion. It comes from overemphasizing being a peacemaker of just like, well, I don't want to offend anyone and I don't want them to offend me. So let's just believe that everyone's right. And, and as a math teacher, that is never how I taught math class, <laughs> right? Like, like, I'm not just like, well, your, your answer is just as good as everybody else's. Everyone gets 100 on the quiz, right? And, and I realize, okay, this, just to be clear, uh, I'm not saying that Brian Waddy is right, all right? I'm not saying that I'm the guy who's right and no one else has it figured out. I'm saying that God is right in how he reveals himself to us. I am saying that, that we don't have everything revealed about God yet. There are things that we don't yet fully know. But the things that he has revealed him, about himself shouldn't contradict other things that other people say he's like. All right? Well, I'll explain that a little bit more in, in a little bit. But, but this is the idea, is that some people just want all religions to be the same. And it, it comes out of a place of, of, you know, avoiding conflict. It comes out of a place of not wanting to offend anyone. It also comes out of a place of, of kind of like a fear of man, a fear of people. Like, well, like, I'm just not going to talk about this. Right? I mean, you know, usually people say, like, religion and politics are things that just should never be discussed. But, but it, it, it matters... In this instance, right? If, if one of these religions is true, it matters, right? It makes a difference on how we live, how we interact with the world, with other people, with, with God himself. So, so when people make this claim that, that all religions are kind of the same, they, they're usually making this claim regarding just kind of like more modern religions or, or, or typically the religions that they happen to encounter in their everyday life of like, no, no, I think what you believe and what I believe is the same thing. We're both, we're all heading to the same place in the end of this. But, but if, you, if you're really going to believe that all religions are the same, then you should apply it equally to all religions, right? Do, do, does anyone say that about like the Aztec religion of like, well, I think that they are going to the same place as everyone else. Like even though they're, you know, participating in human sacrifice, I think, I think that's a, a perfectly legitimate way to get to God, right? Like usually they don't think that, that you know, or... Like, if you find your neighbor sacrificing someone, like, you're not like, oh, hey, I'm glad you've got a higher power. Like, I'm, I'm glad that you're spiritual. I, I, think God, I think my God and your God honor that just as equally. That, that's fine. Right? Or, or do people apply this to, like, the, uh, this is called the, the virgin cleansing myth in Africa. Right? Here, this is a detrimental belief to society because people think that if uh, someone with AIDS sleeps with someone who is a virgin, they will be healed of their AIDS. 
right? Like, we, I, I don't think that's a beneficial belief. I also don't think it's a true belief, right? And, and it's harmful if I'm like, well, hey, what they, what they believe is just as good as anything else. Like, someone's wrong. And those wrong thoughts can produce in wrong, results in wrong actions. Or, or like, what about the religion of, of Molech, this false god in the Bible where people would take their child, their baby, and burn it on an altar alive to the god Molech. It's like, is that person like, yeah, hey, I think that religion's just as good as any other. That's going to, you know, they're, they're all, we're all going in the same direction. God's just as happy for that, for them and their culture and society as he is with any other means. Like, that doesn't make sense, right? So, like, I, like I'm pointing out here, this does create a tension, right? Like, hopefully, we're all uncomfortable, like, oh, boy, I don't know, like, this, is, this isn't comfortable. But, but just in terms of, of logic, just in terms of truth, this is the way it is, right? The moment I declare something might be true, it excludes other possibilities from being true, right? I'm saying that as a mathematician now, not as a preacher, okay? Like, that's just the way that reality is, so, so does it make sense that all paths lead to God? And, and the, the logical answer is no, right? There's no map where all paths lead to the same place. That's not how maps work, right? Here, here's, I've got an example. This isn't, this isn't my favorite thing just because I'm a math person. This isn't what I do. But I've, I've got a Sudoku. Are they called tables or puzzles? I don't know what they're called. Sudoku, I, I think we can put it up on the screen here, right? And, and Sudoku, a, a well-formed Sudoku puzzle uh, has a unique solution, all right? Not all of them have a unique solution, but, but the idea is that you could fill all of those empty spaces with uh, digits one through nine, and that there's only one possible combination that will result in the answer, okay, for Sudoku. So, so let's assume logically that, right, there's some given information that is obvious to all people, right? We all start with the same puzzle. We all have a nine in the, the first column, second row, and we see the world this way, and this is the same evidence that everyone has. But as you and I might start filling this out with our numbers, right, we might start with different assumptions or conclusions or start with different places where we place things, and hopefully in the end, we would come to the same conclusion or the same answer, right? Hopefully in the end, we, we would realize, oh, I was wrong here, or this led me down a wrong path, and I've got to, you know, erase these things and fix it, all right? And, and I'm not saying, just to be clear before I finish with this analogy, I'm not saying that Christianity somehow has the entire puzzle filled out. I'm saying that Christianity just makes logical sense with what is presently known to us and what is currently revealed, right, with, with logic. It's internally consistent. It's logically sound. Okay, so, so in the Sudoku grid, here's the first thing is a number cannot go in a box that already has a number in it. All right, so that seven up on the top left, I can't put another number on top of that. Like there's a logical conflict there. All right. Uh, so, and, and then the other idea is that if I put a one in a particular square, so if I'm trying to figure out, let's just start at the first row and figure out where ones go. I've never done a Sudoku puzzle table, whatever they're called. Okay, so I'm assuming this is how someone would work. I don't know what your algorithm is, but this was the one that I was thinking of. But, but if I want to put ones across the top row, I've got four places where ones could go because I can't place them in those middle boxes, right? All right, but there's another conflict, another rule. I can't place a number in a column or a one in a column where there's another one already existing or in a row where there's another one already existing, okay? So, like, there's some conflict, some logical, like, okay, that's the idea. So here, click, click on the, the next couple tables for me if you could. 
I've got a couple examples there, right? So I, you might say, okay, so ones could go in those four places so far. But now if I apply the second rule, I can't have a one in a column where there's already a one, right? Now it's eliminated two more spots, right? Yeah, click next one more time, right? We went there, right? I, I now have only two options for the first row where the ones can go. Who thought they were going to learn how to play Sudoku today? Also, I'm so glad that I didn't put this on your bulletin because you guys would not listen to me for the rest of the sermon. Right? You'd all just be there like, right? Okay, here we go. So if you really want this, you can access it with the sermon notes on the bulletin. You can go find this yourself and get it. It's, I, I think I have got it online there. So, but anyways, right? So that eliminates some possibilities. Now, I don't know where the one goes yet. I know that one of those are true. That one has to go in one of those places because there's no other one in that top row. But even though I don't know which is true, one thing I do know is that both are not true. Right? I I have no idea which is true yet, but I do know that both of them cannot be true simultaneously. Okay, you've got it figured out already? All right. You're quick. You're quick. Right? And and, and then, so that's one of the things I want to point out is... All world religions can't be true. There's conflicts. There's logical disagreements between them that that they can't all be true. Even though you might just, starting off, you might just be like, "I I don't know which one is true, but what you can know is that all of them are not. All right? So, like, that's just a basic basic logic there, right? And then, and then through further analysis, if we click on the next one, you can end up analyzing it further and be like, well, okay, so, so maybe I got to think further. Well, for those columns, ones could go there, there, and there. And now I've got to consider my options. And of those six ones that I've got there, only two of them can work. And right, you then start working the logic. And sometimes it's not obvious what's true at the first, right, look at things. It takes some time wrestling with truth. Or seeing, okay, what does this mean? Or what does it contradict? Or what, what would make sense? It takes a little while wrestling with it before you might figure it out. Right? So, so that's the idea is that, and then once I pick one that's true, so if we click on the next one, once I pick, if I say, I think the top left is true, it actually eliminates four, or sorry, three of those other possibilities instantly. If that's true, then these other things can't be true, right? That's just basic logic. That's the way, fortunately, God, the universe that he's made for us is one that's logically consistent, right? It's not like Alice in Wonderland here. We're like, I don't know what's going to happen next. There is no scientific method because just whatever could happen right now, right? We're, we live in a logically consistent universe. So, so, so here's some things that I want us to think about is that, right? We live our lives and you can shut off the Sudoku thing if you want. I, am, did I even pronounce it right? Sudoku? Whatever. I don't know. Whatever. Okay, there we go. Same with Bible names. We'll see. I'll pronounce some of them wrong later today as well. So, so we live through our lives as though our worldviews are true. Right? That, that's typically what we do. We just like, I've, you know, come to some conclusions and I'm going to live my life as though this is true. And then, and then at some points we, we meet a conflict or a contradiction. We're like, well, this doesn't jive with what I currently believe. And, and the challenge for us is that that makes us feel really uncomfortable. Because I, I, well, here's one of the reasons I've probably never done Sudoku, is that I don't like the idea of, like, having filled it out and then realizing I'm wrong halfway, and then, like, now I've got to erase all this? Or, like, do I write, like, the tiny numbers? Like, what do I do? Like, like that's not fun. Like, right? It's, it's uncomfortable. I'd rather just be like, no, no, no. Like, I have to erase all of the work that I've done back to this point because I 
was wrong at this one spot. Like, it's unsettling, right? And that's the same way we are with our worldviews, whatever we believe. The moment we come to an impasse or something that conflicts with what we believe, we're like, maybe I'll just ignore this right now, <laughs> right? Maybe I'll just pretend I was right the whole time and I just won't think about this, this blatant contradiction, right? So, so and, and the other challenge for us is that we're not neutral when it comes to truth, Right? The fact that I've already made some assumptions and have been living my life a certain way, I want that to be the right way. I want to be right so far. Okay? Uh, it, it, here's an example. Scientific materialism is the belief that all that can be discovered in this world is only what is revealed through the natural sciences. Okay? That, that, that's all that there is. That's all that really exists is what can be physically observed. Right? What can be experimented upon and proven or disproven. Right? That's what scientific materialism is. And what's interesting is that many scientists now believe in what's called the multiverse and that they've actually painted themselves into a corner. They've forced themselves into believing this because of their choice of saying, we will not ever believe in anything that's unseen or unobservable. And as a result, they've actually pushed themselves into a, a, a point where they have to believe in this thing that's unseen and unobservable. Right? Like, the, the, like their worldview has shifted them and now they're, they're painted into this corner. Right? And their refusal to believe in an unseen cause has forced them to believe either in the impossibly improbable or in this somewhat absurd unseen cause. Okay? Here, here's a, a, a quote. I, I don't have it on the screen, but I've got it on the back of your bulletin. This uh, cosmologist, his last name's Carr, C-A-R-R. He says, if there is only one universe, you might have to have a fine tuner. Right, I'll let you figure out what fine-tuning is later on your own time. But, but he says, if you don't want God, you'd better have a multiverse. But I thought this was interesting that this was in a scientific journal. Why is what you want entering into the equation whatsoever when it comes to the discovery of truth? Why is he saying if you don't want God, then you better choose this option? It's like, no, no, no. Like, aren't we just interested in discovering what's true? Isn't that what science is about? Why am I predisposed where I don't want that to be true, so this is the, the thing that I'm going to choose to believe in? If we're really interested in discovery, then my personal preference should not be defining what I want you know, that reality to look like. I shouldn't be you know, narrowing my search on that basis. Right? So he's saying, like, listen, if you don't want God to be the answer, well, we, we now have to believe in this even though it's really absurd. Okay, that mathematically it just doesn't make sense. So, so in our search for truth, all of us, we don't want certain things to be true. We, we might not want our lives to be interrupted with some moral standard that's different than what we're currently comfortable with or our current lifestyle, right? We strive for comfort. We would prefer maintaining equilibrium, not having to deal with confrontation in our own thinking or with other people who might not think the same way as we do. Now, now, in terms of that Sudoku problem, right, as you're doing the problem and I'm doing the problem, there will be similarities as we're working along, right, as we're trying to fill out our tables. Obviously, the beginning information hopefully will be the same for all of us, but maybe multiple ones of us would have chosen to put the one in the top left, even though we're not done the table yet. Maybe there will be similarities in our current understanding of, of this problem, but there will also be lots of differences unless we're happening to be following the same exact problem-solving strategy, right? There will be lots of differences, okay? So, so it wouldn't make sense for me to say that, you know, all of us are the same in our problem-solving abilities or all of us have the same answer so far. 
just because there are some similarities, right? There are going to be contradictions elsewhere. Here, here's a quote from Ravi Zacharias. I actually pulled it off of his Facebook page. This guy's a cool dude. He's a, like a Christian philosopher, essentially. But I think I've got it up on the screen here, if you can find that. He says this, all religions are not the same, okay? All religions do not point to God. All religions do not say that all religions are the same, and at the heart of every religion is an uncompromising commitment to a particular way of defining who God is or is not, and accordingly of defining life's purpose. Anyone who claims that all religions are the same are not, uh, betrays not only an ignorance of all religions, but also a caricatured view, right? Those like funny, you know, cartoon faces of yourself you might have drawn of you when you're on vacation, right? A caricatured view of even the best known ones. Every religion at its core is exclusive. So, right, right, so this is just like a logically sense-making thing. I know that's not something we're comfortable with. We'd rather just, hey, everything is equally true. Everything leads to the same place. That's what we'd want. But just because we want that doesn't make it, make it true. And it, it doesn't, doesn't make sense. Right? Some people have said that, that God is too big to fit in one religion. Right? Some people have said that. And like I said earlier, we don't know everything about God. But what we do know, what has been revealed, shouldn't contradict right, what other people might say about him, if all religions are really the same. Right? That that wouldn't make sense. So, here's an idea, right? If different religions are describing the same part of God, there should be some agreement there. If all religions were the same, right? If it's describing God's nature, or God's standard, or God's purpose for mankind, or God's plan for the afterlife... If they're really all the same, they should be describing roughly the same thing. I, I understand the idea that if they were describing different parts of the same God, maybe you could come to the conclusion that they're the same, but there's, there's a lot of overlap that's mutually exclusive. And God is too true to be some like ambiguous morphological thing where whatever each of us thinks about God, he, like that piece of him becomes that. Like He's not like some weird freak monster right? Uh, that doesn't make sense, right? He's, he's revealed himself in a particular way, and what is revealed is reliably true, right? And one of the ways that Jesus revealed God is that he is a loving father, right? That God loves us and pursues us. And the, the, the things that have been revealed about God, just by logic alone, exclude some other possibilities from being true. Okay, so so here we go. So some people will say, well, you know, there's a similarity between religions, right? A lot of them say, like, you know, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. That's true, right? A lot of them do happen to have, like, the golden rule thing going on there. But, but there still is, like, an obvious incompatibility with Judaism and Christianity and the rest of religions because the God of the Bible, right, his first commandment was to have no other gods before him. Right, to not make any images and to bow down and serve them, right? that, that he is a jealous God. Right? So he's not cool with like, hanging out with a whole bunch of other gods and it all being true. He's saying, like, no, 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 there's, there's only one God and he is it. That's what he claims. Right? And, and even Jesus said that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Right? Like, that's what we should be doing. And that, that takes precedence over the loving your neighbor aspect. 
right? So there are similarities, but when it comes down to it, loving God is more important than, you know, whether there's some similarities and maybe some or a handful of moral standards. So God, God doesn't tolerate a plurality of, of deities, he, and he's actually specifically offended at the worship of false gods. In fact, there are entire generations of the Israelites documented in the Old Testament where they, they stepped out of God's blessing because they started worshiping these false gods rather than him. Right? So, so I mean, that obviously puts us in another predicament. Well, how do I know which God is real? Right? How do I settle that? Right? And that's, that I understand is a struggle. And that's why I'd invite you to, to ask questions to seek the truth because God wants to be found. So let's go back to Paul. All right, I'm doing okay for time. So Paul sees all of these idols. He's grieved by this. And Paul speaks up. Paul starts talking to people. He's not afraid to offend people. Verse 17 in Acts 17. He said, uh, so he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons, the people who were seeking God. And in the marketplace, every day with those who happened to be there. So Paul was one that would reason with people, right? There's a way to like have conversation with people where you're not like all angry, flustered, and in a, de- in a debate, right? Like there's a way to have a conversation where you can reason with them. I'd also point out that Christianity is a religion that is reasonable, right? That's how you can have people like C.S. Lewis that come to become Christians, right? as a result of, of logic and reason, right? That they come down that path where they're like, wow. Like there's a lot of people that have been reluctant converts to being Jesus followers because they're like, this is, I don't see any other way anything else can be true. Like, and they're like, I guess I have to believe in you, Jesus. Like it's happened a lot, right? So, so Paul was one that spoke with reason with people. Right? He was able to meet with people in the marketplace every day. He's just like, hey, who's, who's you know, going around doing business? They're like, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. Right? Let me tell you about this. And, and this is what I want to point out is that Christianity is a reasonable religion. There's reasons to believe it. But it, does, it is a religion that leads to trust. Okay? That, that God provides sufficient evidence that through seeking and reason you can come to believe in him. But just like in a relationship with someone, you learn to trust them. That even when you don't have any evidence other than what they say, you believe them, right? And and that's what Christianity is like. There's enough reason for you to start seeking it out and come to this conclusion, but eventually you believe God in the areas that he says things that maybe you don't have any evidence other than his word, all right? That that it does get to that place of trust. So, So Paul, verse 18, it says, some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed or debated with him, right? So Paul was willing to engage with the philosophies of his day. It wasn't just the religious, all right? Uh, Epicurus was uh, a materialist, right? Uh, His philosophy had a, they did a general attack on superstition and divine intervention. So these, he's a materialist, right? Paul would converse with him. Hey, let me tell you about Jesus from your materialistic perspective, okay? Or stoicism, was founded and it, the goal of life was just to uh, live in accordance with nature. You know, just kind of like, well, I'm just going to live according to, to how things make sense and just in harmony with nature as best I can. And, and Paul would reason and debate them, right, in a healthy way of like, let me, let me point this to Jesus. Let me, let me take your current worldview and bring you to this conclusion. So Paul was willing to have debates with philosophers of his day. Not all of them responded well. The rest of verse uh, 18 It says, and some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Okay, Uh, let's see, I think 
Yeah, verse 18. We got it down there, Sam? Right? He says, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. So I want to point out that, that Christianity is different than these other religions. All right? Christianity is different than these different idols and other gods that people were serving. What Paul was preaching was Jesus and the resurrection. Right? Paul was like, the reason I know that this God is true, that Jesus is right, is because God had the power to raise him from the dead. Right? Like, that didn't happen with these other gods. All right, the way Peter describes it, I don't have it on the screen, it's, he says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Right? So, so the apostles didn't just like randomly pick Jesus or make up some story because they've seen myths in their day. They'd seen these false gods. They've heard of these other religions. The reason they believed in Jesus was because of evidence. They were eyewitnesses of this. They, they saw him get raised from the dead. That's why they believed. So verse 19 in Paul's instance, it says, And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus. All right, some, uh, it's called also Mars Hill. It's a place where kind of the philosophers would gather, the religious would gather and discuss things. Uh, and saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. For you bring some strange things to our ears, and we wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. So this culture was interested in what was going on. Verse 21, now all the Athenians and all the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. Right? They were always discussing the latest ideas. What's the latest theory in describing our world or our universe? What actually makes sense? So they were interested in what Paul had to say, right? They were intrigued. So check out what Paul says, verse 22. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, he said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. You are very religious. Religious. Remember verse 16, right? He saw all the idols, all the false gods. He knows that these are eight religious people. But he doesn't go from here and say, looks like you guys are all set, right? You've, you've got your religion box checked, right? Your status on Facebook of what religion you are. You're good, right? He, he says, I know that you're all very religious, but the problem is that being religious is insufficient. Even in the realm of Christianity, I'll let you know, being religious is insufficient, to be saved, okay? Uh, I want to point out this one quick story from Acts chapter 10, this guy Cornelius. Let me read just two verses about a description of him. At, uh, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household and gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. This guy is religious. He's even praying to the right God. Right? He's, he's probably serving God better than you or I do. Right? However, check this out in Acts 11, verse 13. God actually sends an angel to visit this dude. All right? Acts eleven thirteen, And he told us, so Cornelius told us about this experience, how he had seen an angel stand in, in his house and say, send to Joppa, bring Simon who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message which you will be, by which you will be saved you and all your household. So even with all of Cornelius's religion, even with all of his prayer, all of his giving, this angel was pointing out the fact that you are not yet saved. You can do all of these good things and it's actually not 
resulting in your salvation. Your salvation will come as a result of believing the message that this guy Peter is going to tell you about. This is where you can find him. Plug it in your GPS, right? He's like, he gives him the address, right? So, so I want to point out that we are not saved by being religious. We are not saved by being spiritual. We're saved by Jesus. So it, it isn't just having faith that saves us. It is the fact that Jesus is the object of our faith that saves us, that we believe and trust in him for our forgiveness. Okay? Right? Like, if you have faith and trust in a parachute and use it when you jump out of a plane, it will save you. If you have faith and trust in an anvil when you jump out of a plane, it will not save you no matter how sincere that faith is. I mean, Bull, you were in the Air Force, I'm assuming that's accurate, right? There we go. Okay, you're smiling. So, so it's not just because we have faith that we're saved or just because we're religious and do things that we're saved. All right, it's because we trust in Jesus. And what's, what's unfortunate is some people even misinterpret Christianity this way, where they, they read the Bible or they'll see passages and be like, hey, there's some commands, right? There's some things that I'm told to do. I guess what this is saying is that I need to do those things in order to earn God's favor. But that's actually not the purpose of the commands in the Bible, right? That, that's like something that's kind of like, wait, what, Really? You know, because a lot of times, even people that have grown up in Christian churches, they end up with the mentality that, oh, I just have to be good enough to, to be saved. I just have to do enough, right, or uh, do enough good to outweigh my bad, and then I'll have favor with God, and I'll get to heaven, I hope, right? That's, that's not what Christianity teaches. It, it turns out that there are commands in the Bible, but one of the purposes of those commands is to simply point out our need for a Savior, Right? They're not saying that this is the means by which you are saved. It's pointing out our need, our lack. Right? It's the mirror to which we can see, I'm not there yet. Right? Like I've, I've, got to, I've got to do something about this. And so one of the objectives of these commands is to expose our need for a Savior. Romans 3.20. I've got this in the New Living Translation, the same as the Blue Bibles you guys got there. So it says, For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. Whoa, like what? Like no matter how hard I try to be good, I can't be made right with God. That's what, this is one of the things that makes Christianity distinct from other religions. It's not a works-based religion. It's a gift-based religion. So here it says, the law simply shows us how sinful we are. The purpose of the law is to diagnose our problem, to which Jesus alone is the cure. That's, that's the purpose of the law. It's to say, man, I don't measure up. Like, I'm guilty. What am I going to do about this? That I need to, to deal with this guilt. I need to be forgiven of my sin. Right? That's the purpose of the law. Romans three twenty two through 24 says, We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who you are. For everyone has sinned, Christians too. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, with undeserved kindness, declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. Right? So that, that's the idea. That's the means by which we are saved. And, and I know that that being true makes some other realities really uncomfortable. Right? That makes the rest of, okay, what does this mean for my worldview? 
What does this mean about other people? Right? This means that they need Jesus. Right? Galatians 2.21, Paul says this. Because this is the thing that we wrestle with. Like I said, this is uncomfortable. Even if you do believe this, this is uncomfortable. Because we'd rather just, can't we all just like get along? Right? Can't just everything be right? But this is what happens if we don't believe this is true. Verse 21, I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. Okay? I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. So here's the question is, why did Jesus die? If I could be good enough on my own or if any of the religions that I could pick will get me to God, then why did Jesus have to die at all? Right? If, if I'm in, in attempting to be gracious, in attempting to not offend other people, or it, I'm willing to say, no, I don't think you actually need Jesus. I think you're fine the way you are. The person I'm offending is God. The one that I'm offending is Jesus, and the grace that I'm trampling upon is God's grace given to all mankind. But this is, this is uncomfortable, right? But this is the idea, is that if I'm willing to say that, I'm saying that God's grace was meaningless, that Jesus' death was pointless, right? The, the contrapositive of this statement is that if there is a need for Christ to die, then keeping the law cannot make us right with God. This is why Jesus did something different than every other religious leader did, right? He didn't just say, here's a standard, here's something you need to do. He said that you don't measure up to the standard, but I love you and I want to forgive you and I'm willing to live to this standard. I'm willing to die taking the penalty for your sin, right? That's what Jesus was willing to do. So the reason that Jesus is the only way to salvation is that he's the only one who can forgive our sin, And no other attempt of my own could ever make me right with God. It was that Jesus sought us out to forgive us. Romans 6.23 says this, For the wages of sin is death. The cost of my sin is death. There's a death penalty because of our sin. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Right, that he's the source of eternal life. He's the only one that can offer it. And by that being true, it excludes other possibilities from being true. And the reason that this is important, that even we as Christians understand this and are willing to be unsettled by this truth, is because if we believe this is true, then we will preach with the same passion that Paul did. Right, that we are willing to kind of unsettle things, to have uncomfortable conversations for the sake of someone else experiencing the freedom and forgiveness that is available through Jesus. But as long as we continue to wrestle with this, or just like we recognize there's a contradiction, but we'll just ignore it, we're never going to preach the gospel the way that it needs to be preached. Right? We're never going to share Jesus with other people unless like, oh, oh, you don't have a religion and you are interested? Let me tell you about Jesus. But like, we're never going to, like, broach the conversation if, if they already have a religion, right? If they already have a worldview or a belief system, right? Like, if this is true, it changes the way we behave. Let's have the worship team come up as I read this last verse from Acts. Verse 23 from Acts 17. Paul's still talking. He says, For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship... 
I found an altar with this inscription, right? So the city was full of false gods, right? They had all sorts of different statues, all sorts of different gods, different temples and altars. And he says, I found an altar with this inscription. It said, to the unknown God. Athens wanted to make sure, well, just in case we missed the right one, we'll also worship the God that we don't know anything about, right? Just in case, because we'll just believe everything is true. I'm I'm even going to worship the God I haven't heard of yet. Right? But this is what Paul says. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. This is is the cool aspect about God, is that God is knowable and he wants to be known. He wants that so much that he was willing to come down and die that we could have relationship with him because our sin separates us from God, right? So, so wherever you are, whatever your place is in your belief in Jesus or who he is, or if this is just like made you really uncomfortable today, I hope that you will at least seek, right? At least seek out the truth because God wants to be found. God wants to be known. You don't have to worship some unknown God or some God that you made up. God is knowable and wants to be known. And the way that you can experience that today, if you've never experienced it is by placing your trust in Jesus, by not just believing in a God or believing in God, but by believing what he said about himself, right? That he is the way, that he's died to make forgiveness available. And you can just experience that today. You don't have to talk to me. I'm not like the avenue to God, just so you're aware, right? Jesus is the one mediator where you can just tell him in your heart, like, I'm wrong, According to your standard, I'm not living up to it. I'm sorry. Like, I'm going to walk away from this and trust in you. I'm going to receive and believe what you've said about yourself, that you are the Lord, that you are God, right? And that you were willing to forgive me, taking the penalty for my sins. So that's something that you can pray just between you and him, right? You can talk to God. That's good news, right? And he wants to hear you. He wants to have relationship with you. So that's something you can do during these last two songs. If you have questions, I'd love to answer them right at the end of the songs. If you, if you want to come to the Mitchell community, please ask your questions. Shoot me an email, right? God wants to be found. God wants to be found. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that we can get to know you. That, that your word says that when we believe in you, that you reveal yourself to us that you make yourself known, you make yourself real to us. That, God, you do not expect a blind faith from us where we randomly pick what we believe. But you provide evidence, you give reasonable steps for us to take. You have a reasonable expectation for us to come to you and discover who you are. And through that discovery, we can learn to trust you. So God, I ask that you would bring us to that place, that you would reveal yourself to us, make yourself real to us today. And that God, I I pray that, that you would just plant a fire in our hearts to share your love with this world. That we wouldn't just go out and blast people with the truth, but we would share it with grace. We would share it with love. Lord, I pray that we would we would let your truth unsettle us to the point of acting that we would do something about this. That, Lord, we would be grieved by the false gods and the idolatry that is in our nation. And that we would reach out with love to the people that need you and that you 
love. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.